The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about changing behavior. And we have a wonderful book. It's called The Changing Behavior Book, A Fresh Approach to the Difficult Child by James Sutton, Dr. James Sutton, and we have him on the line. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about him. Dr. James Sutton is a nationally recognized child and adolescent psychologist, and he's a former special education teacher. He contributes to the award-winning parent blog, EmpoweringParents.com, and he edits the monthly email publication, the ODD Management Digest. And of course, I just told you about his latest book, uh, and which is wonderful, which I have right in front of me, and I love it. I, I especially like that he has the butterfly on here, so we know that, that we can go from the caterpillar to the butterfly and change behavior. And um, he's had many years of extensive research and working with kids and how they can be changing, how to change their behavior so that they grow up healthy and be successful people. So... Without further ado, I'm going to invite you to join us. Thank you so much, Dr. Sutton, for joining us all the way from beautiful southern Texas. That's right. It's a, it's a delight to uh, it's a delight to be where it's generally warmer, although we're having a cool front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Texas, uh, I haven't been down that south, uh, but I would love to go there, so maybe I'll have to come and visit you. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this. How is it that you came to even write this book, The Changing Behavior Book, A Fresh Approach to the Difficult Child? Well, I guess the short answer, Mari, is that uh, I was attended a professional speakers conference in actually it was in San Diego in your state back in uh, back in the summer of 2007, and I heard a I heard a story being shared about a, a gentleman at the Hawaii State Hospital who created some absolutely phenomenal healing with what we would consider to be impossible patients, criminally insane patients, and. And I said to myself, it was an awesome experience for me because I realized we can apply those same principles in working with children and see some awesome things. I believe that from my experience. And so what, what happened, and one of the reasons why I, I wrote the book is I, I began to realize that there are a lot of people who are saying, I wish this person, more specifically my son, daughter, student, would change their behavior. But I began to realize that the first part of that change is not the child changing, but me changing. Right. Yeah. And then the other issue is, is that a lot of the things we were doing with kids just weren't working. Yes. 
it's like I love to watch the dog whisper. He, you know, he isn't right. saying that you have to change the dog. You have to change the trainer. Exactly. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. So let's talk about why is communication with our children more difficult than it was, let's say, a generation or two ago? Well, I think partly because we're just not taking time to listen and to talk and to share. Uh, you know, we were speaking before we went on the air about uh, about uh, in our generation, we just we just we, we talked more. I mean, we we sat around the table and and had meals together and those kind of things. And I believe today we don't do as much of that. Uh, the other, and I say this jokingly, a lot of times uh, we, we say to kids, "Well, if you'll take those earbuds out of your ears and get your iPod or MP3 player turned off for a minute, I'd like to talk to you." It's like getting their attention is an issue. And also, there are a lot of blended families today, so I think communication is um, is is more is is more of an issue to to get it going. And it's uh, things have changed through the years. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, even with my kids, and I have one who's twenty six and one who's thirty two, and you know, they would rather text me than right. get pick up the phone. You know, right. <laughs> even though they have free phone and and the same thing or or an email. So. I have to kind of, you know, do what they do to some extent. I mean, I will call them and I get up and call them, but I know that if I text them, I'm more likely to get a quicker answer. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It, you know, and that's very different from what our lives were. And I think a lot is lost in texting, texting and in emails. And for example, in my office, I've learned, I put into my retainer agreement that we only use email to send each other documents and to set appointments. We never do it to resolve any kind of issue at all. That's in there. They have to sign that because right. I uh, it, it just so much is lost. So I agree with you 100%. So what do you see, though, really um, about the the number one issue affecting communication, really? Is it is it really technology? What is it? I think I think a lot of it is time. I mean, I really believe that. I, I think uh, one of the <clears throat> things that that keeps families from communicating as much as they could or should is the fact that they're all so busy, all going in 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 different directions. And I've discovered too, Marie, that when we actually take the time, uh, it 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 does it does leave an impression. Let me give you an example. Just recently, uh, we had our grandson over. He's 11 years old, and I was sitting out in the in the, in the on, on the patio, you know what a patio is yes. there in California, out in the back, and and he just came out there with his with his cup of hot chocolate and just sat down. And I said to myself, Hallelujah! Here's an opportunity to actually sit down and talk to this 11 year old. You know, right? And, and it was a very special time. I remember also, and and this is kind of a of a sad thing too. But uh, my own son, of course, he's an adult now. But someone asked him one time, what's What's the most valuable, uh, the most fun thing you ever did with your dad? And he said, it, oh, it was a time when my dad and I went fishing together. It was so much fun. And, Mari, I only remember doing that with him one time. Oh. So, so those times, they do, they do recall. But I think we get in a hurry and say, well, uh, I'll do it later. Yes. And then later becomes never sometimes, unfortunately. I know. You know, sometimes just getting away, you know, getting away from the house where you can't answer the phone or you can't look at the computer. I know my my husband took our grandson gold mining and now he's, you know, he's in his 20s. And, mm-hmm. and he always remembers that time going gold mining, even though they didn't get any gold. <laughs> right. It's being there. Just going yeah. and having fun and, and camping out and panning and getting dirty and 
And I know with my kids, what I've learned over the years is if I can just somehow take them away, like even if it's for a weekend to go to Los Angeles, which right. is like an hour, and, an hour and a half away, or go down to San Diego, which is an hour away, if I can just get them somewhere different and we go to a museum together or something that if you visit within your own house, it's somehow... It, it just falls back into old patterns. There you go. My wife likes likes to get me on a cruise. Oh, because, because wonderful! Because she, she knows if she gets me on a cruise, there's no telephone, there's no computer. It's just it's just us. Although we have this little rule during the daytime, uh, we don't have to stay together all the time. We can kind of do our own thing, and that's fine. But we do spend time in the evenings at the dinner and the little show they have on the boat and things. And so that uh, that is, you know, I think everyone needs that, don't you believe? Yeah, you you get a kick out of this. Um, we had a blackout, you know, where the electricity right. went out. And so you couldn't watch TV. You know, you couldn't even have the air conditioning on. You couldn't have anything. And it was in, it was last summer when, when Arizona had that, uh, that big mess and it just blocked out most of Southern California and San Diego. And so um, everybody, all my neighbors were outside. We're all talking. <laughs> and we all had flashlights. And we're all looking up at the stars. And we said, Look at this. I mean, yes, it's a hassle, and yeah, you know, you can't cook, and you can't do all these things, so you right. have to get snacks. But we actually had, you know, if it was for a longer period of time, I know we wouldn't have been happy. But it was, you know, for a day, it was kind of fun that and we you, were all communicating. Right. Everybody was outside in the evening because it was cool, and everybody's talking to each other. And the change was delightful, wasn't it? It, it really was. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. After a while, it was not so fun you know when you started well, I think to... we, need re- we need to return to that with our children and our grandkids where we can because i, I do think the the pace of life it, it just takes us away from relationships that should be the most important part of life anyway exactly so how about when people promise their kids rewards or incentives for better grades or improved behavior i used to do that with my kids and it seemed to work you know if you get an a an a was worth so many points a B was worth so many points, and that went toward dollars, toward, you know, things that they could buy themselves at the end of the quarter. Is that working still or not? I think it depends on the youngster. Uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier in the in the pre-show there was uh, was a publication I put out every month uh, through email, <laughs> the ODD Management Digest, and ODD stands for Oppositional Defiant Disorder. Right. And we have some youngsters who, who tend to have defiant streaks in their behavior. And so for those youngsters, um, just saying no thank you or I don't care or just not doing to get the reward sometimes is a, is a bigger payoff to them because they realize, you know what, if, if, if you don't get to take me to the movies tonight because I didn't you know, finish my homework or get it done or whatever, then part of what I get is the fr- knowing I frustrated you, and that's power. Right. And even though we didn't go to the movies, and I think a lot of times we have youngsters who are just just dispositional by temperament. Yeah. Just, and, and you almost know that, that they're going to, even when you offer them something nice, it's like, well, the bigger deal is, is messing you up. And so right. that's what happens. Yeah. I guess they feel so disempowered that doing something like that, that feeling of power Right. Because they feel bad about themselves, and it gives them that power. Well, and what happens is, is that is that parents fall into that trap. Well, don't you want to go to the movies? And of course, it just makes it all the much bigger deal for the youngster to say no. I guess not. I just had a situation uh, in my email where a parent was asking me about uh, 
what are they going to do about their son's room that is absolutely so sloppy that nobody can even stand to walk into it? And I said, just close the door. Yeah. I mean, the issue is if you want, to, if that's important to you, and you want to affect your relationship with your child enough that you're on their case all the time about stuff on the floor in their room. Well, what's that going to mean 20, 30 years later? Yeah. You know, and I think the easiest thing to do, and, and my wife was so good at this, she said, she just close the door. As long as I don't have to look at it, I, I, I love you too much, son, she said, to be on your case about this. Yeah. You, you live to... in there. Nobody else is going in there. Just close the door so I don't have to look at it. Right. And you got to choose what's really important. So if there's something really unsafe... Absolutely. That that you know that they want to do that they really shouldn't be doing. Then sure. that's something different. Well, and then there are things you wouldn't yield on. I mean, I right. You, you want your children to tell the truth. I mean, lying is not acceptable. Right. Hurting people is not acceptable. Uh, being mean is not acceptable. But you know what? If you throw your if you throw your clothes on the floor, young person. You might not have any laundry next week, you know? Right, 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 <laughs> right. And then you try and find, that'll be the best thing, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Some some youngsters are so defiant, and I know about that defiant disorder, and I, mm-hmm. I you know, I, I lived with it for a while, believe me. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they can even turn when you say something nice into a, into conflict. So what's going on there? You know, that's an interesting situation where you pay them a conflict, and then, and then you have the dickens to pay for that later. Yeah, you say something nice, yeah. and then it blows up in your face. I think one of the reasons for that is because there are a lot of kids who have more trouble with conflicts, have more trouble with compliments than they do criticism. Huh. They just don't have a place for it to fit. Because I, it, my theory is this. I think children, as a rule, are more genuine and, and authentic than adults in the sense that they haven't spent their whole life developing all these facades and masks and faces to kind of make you make themselves look like something they're not. So, a lot of times kids will say, "Well, I'm not. I'm really not a very good person, like you just called me. So I'm going to do something to prove to you that um. that I'm not." And so, a lot of times, as soon as you pay a youngster a compliment, then that's when you'll have you'll have some kind of difficulty or trouble. One of the very first kids I ever worked with in therapy as a psychologist, I made that comment. As he was leaving, you're a neat kid. I enjoy working with you. And I had the dickens of a time with that kid the next time I saw him. Mm, because I, he because it was incongruent with what he thought about himself. Exactly, exactly. Mm. I think adults are the same way, but uh, children are just a little more pure and, and, and straight in that characteristic. Yeah, yeah. We are speaking with Dr. James Sutton, who is the author of this wonderful book. It's a resource for parents and educators and counselors and therapists and everybody. And it's called The Changing Behavior Book, A Fresh Approach to the Difficult Child. So, you know, people who are listening and driving by, what about it? Can you tell us some ways that we can quickly improve communication with our kids and bring that relationship closer? Absolutely. One of the things that I think is so important, and it's the easiest thing in the world to do, and I call it uh, bedtime presence. It's an active presence. And that as your child is getting ready to go to sleep, um, the parent just sits at the foot of the bed for two minutes and then gets up and leaves. Doesn't say anything until the child says, maybe, Mom, Dad, why are you sitting on my bed? <laughs> and, and yeah, <laughs> Insightful question, huh? And then an, that's an opportunity for the parent to say, well, you know, Things are so crazy around here in the mornings. I just kind of wanted to be with you just a moment while things are sort of quiet. Mm-hmm. And see, just before a child goes to sleep is the most receptive 
and the most calm and the most focused they will be out of a whole 24 hours. Oh, okay. And those are precious moments. And generally, what happens in those moments is it, it all comes back to the relationship. And, um, you know, I remember that in my life from my parents, but I really remember it from my grandmother because she would come and spend the winters with us in South Texas. And I still just recall her speaking to me and how soothing that was just a few minutes before I went to sleep. Hmm. I guess they, yeah, they're so relaxed. They're laying down and they're just mm-hmm. kind of relaxed. And so, yeah. you know, it's like when, when I'm with people and they're stressed out, uh, they're less patient and they, the conflict can escalate much more quickly. But if they're relaxed, then, you know, kind of things kind of rub, sure. drop, you know, go off your back. But, and you know what's interesting about yeah. that is that <clears throat> it makes sense that we would we would tuck in a three or a four or five year old, mm-hmm. but we don't think about doing it for a fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old, and they probably need it worse sometimes. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. An- another thing is to do the same thing, but do it in the car while you're driving. I find uh, you know we call, we call that therapeutic cruising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the benefit of that is you know if you can control the radio and you know just make that a rule. I want to visit with you. I don't want to listen to the radio. You're the most important thing in my life. Let's just let's just talk. And, and again, I was sharing earlier about my grandson. I can take a two-hour trip with him in the car, and it's like it's only 20 minutes. Yeah. Because yeah. once you have that time with him, it's very, very special. Right. Well, what about those parents who feel all their mistakes are justified simply because they're being the parent? Like, I, I have a friend who says that he has a problem with the son, and... His son says, well, why do I have to do that? And he goes, well, that's because I said so. Yeah. You know, is that, what is that all about? And how does that work? Well, I think just because I said so probably doesn't fly very well with that child or any kids because they really, really don't hear much of that. And, and it really comes back to uh, what are we doing with our children when we're, when we're not having to discipline them or, or, or speak to them about their behavior more specifically. But what I think there is, these folks are going to struggle because what they're basically saying is, by the fact that I'm a parent, uh, you you need to pay attention to me and what I'm saying. And you know what? That might work for a while, but then kids begin to say, well, sometimes because of the way you're talking to me, it seems like you don't care. And I think a lot of youngsters, and in fact, I had a kid in my office he had a little trouble in school, nothing really serious, and, and difficulty at home. He's 13 years old, and his parents brought him to me. And they said, uh, what on earth can we do to get him to bring his grades up and, you know, pick his room up and all of this? And I said, well, I'm not sure yet. Let me talk to him first. And when I set him down in my office, Murray, I said to him, I'm pretty sure that most youngsters your age feel like their moms and dads really aren't listening to them as much as they should. Do you ever feel that way? And he said, oh, yes. And I says, if you could give your parents one message that I promise you they would hear, because I will tell them, and I'll put it in my report, what would it be? And he said, I want them to know I don't mean to cause trouble. Mari, that's not an unusual response. I get that a lot. This is a youngster who realizes his behavior and the conflict he was having with his parents was was costing them in the relationship. And I said, okay, I will tell them that. Let me ask you this. Why would you say that? And he said, because I'm pretty sure my parents hate me. And I, that really 
struck me because they didn't hate him. I right. mean, they were taking him for, to get some help. I mean, but see, he perceived that. It was the anger and the frustration and, and the yelling and the hollering and those things that he said, well, I guess you hate me. And so all of his behavior was based on, you hate me. Mm. And, and I call that, <clears throat> I call that the, the weeds that are growing in the family garden. You know, every family has its own garden. Some families grow more vegetables than flowers, and some grow more flowers than vegetables. But what happens if you don't take care of that garden? The weeds grow up bigger yes. than what it is you're growing. And he couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't see anything anymore because the weeds are in the way. Right. And you know what? It was real easy for parents to turn that around in a heartbeat, just sitting I... at the foot of his bed for a few minutes and saying, listen, I don't know how you got to know that because... It's not true, and, and I'll prove it to you. Right. And I'm sure the parents were just heartbroken to hear that. Well, they were. I mean, as a parent, wouldn't you be heartbroken? Absolutely. I mean, I would, I'd, be, I'd be devastated. I'm, I'm heartbroken just hearing the yeah, story. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't hate my children. I'd die for my kids and my grandkids. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not even negotiable. You know, right. I mean, the bottom line is, but here's the whole point, is that children and adults, too, are, are driven by their perception. You're an attorney. It's the same thing. Somebody perceives somebody's trying to take advantage of them, and they sometimes react defensively out of a situation that isn't even called for. Yes, and I sit there as the mediator in between parties. You know, I don't litigate anymore. I keep them out of court. Mm-hmm. And so I hear both sides, and I'll say, you know, I'll be, I'll be sitting there in the middle, and I'm saying, okay, so what is your perception? Okay, you perceive that, and you have that right that, to that perception. And then I'll turn to the other party or the other parties, and I'll have each person tell their perception. And I'm going to say, well, you're all right. From your perspective, you're all right. So that doesn't get us an answer, but, but you are right. You know, that's how you see it. That's how it feels. That is what it is. So how do we, you know, how do we deal with that? Now that we know that, how do we resolve right. it? So I think that's one of the things, even with my kids, is hearing them really and i think you said that a few minutes ago is one of the things really listening to the kids not giving them a you know a, a short answer but really saying okay so what do you really mean by that help me understand what's going on with you mm-hmm. and then really listening and then say well what do you want to do about that or what do you think we should do i learned finally with my I, my daughter was very obstinate so i would just say she'd tell me what was bothering her and i would tell her what i was bothering me and i'd say so so now that we know this, what do you think we should do? You know, what, what is your solution? And many times she would come up with a very good solution. Sure. That was maybe sometimes even more strict than what I would have said. Well, but you ask for her input. Yeah. And here's the bottom line, and parents and teachers really need to hear this, is when you ask for a child's input and they share something with you that makes sense, do that first because the youngster is more motivated to do that than anything else because it's their idea. Right. That's, that's in the back of the Changing Behavior book, the, a section called Resolving Conflicts with yes. Your Children. It's a 10-step process, and it's not difficult at all, but it's basically pulling the youngster in as a, as a partner to the solution rather than saying, this is how it's going to be, because you know what kids will say, oh, yeah, especially yeah. adolescents. No, Watch I me. love it. In <laughs> fact, that, I, I even put a sticky in that one where you said, um, you know, approach the situation as if every problem was your own fault, which I thought was interesting. That was, right. you know... That, not, not that it's going to be your fault, but at least it opens you up to listen a little better. Or at least take responsibility. In every sure. problem, there's always two to tango. <laughs> you sure, know, sure. That we each own our own stuff. And, and I thought that's what you meant. Is That's what I was at least interpreting mm-hmm. oh, what yes. you meant. Yeah. Yes. 
And then you said, remember your children and students don't hate you. That's right. You know, and slow down a lot. That's that's a biggie for parents who are, sure. you know, got several kids. They're working two jobs. They come home and they have to clean the house, make dinner. I mean, it is rough, especially if you're single parents. Sure. It is it is really rough. And then you have be sensitive to the wear of the confrontation. You bet. Is that what you were talking about, whether it's yeah, at the foot yes, of the be, bed or somewhere? Well, because if you had just had a knockdown, drag-out fight with that youngster in the kitchen, you don't want to sit and have this conversation with him in the kitchen. No. <laughs> you know? And, Bad and karma. A lot of people don't stop and think about that, but that's important. One of the things that's important, Marty, it's not one of those ten steps, but it, it leads to it, is to sit down with a youngster and come up with a time for an appointment for this meeting. Yes. That shows them value, by the way, and, and also shows them we don't have to talk about it right now, but gets them to thinking about the situation, the circumstance, and what we might do. And besides, that's the way our world operates. And, and being respectful of their time. Absolutely. If you say, no, I want to talk about it now, and they go, oh, I have a date, or I'm meeting my friends, or we have a study group. You know, go, sure. okay, all right, so what, what time will work for you? And when they give you a time or settle with you on a time, they're not going to argue about it with you later because that's the time that they came up with yeah then you had here another one uh be physically and emotionally relaxed as you open the confrontation i love that too because people just you know if they talk when they're all upset and their body is tense the the kids read that language they get it you bet yeah you can say you can say i love you in a way that's so hateful (laughs) yeah exactly you have to be congruent in your body and your mind and your soul exactly Sure. And he said, open the confrontation with an objective statement of fact. So why don't you give an example of that? Like, like we're not communicating effectively? Yeah, it would, well, whatever the problem might be. For instance, um, uh, you know... You got, you, got a, you got a D in algebra. Yeah, let, well, <laughs> that's, that's, let's make it even simpler than that. Uh, <laughs> you, you've had trouble feeding the dog, especially the first time I've asked you to do it. And it's not fair, and it's not fair to the dog. You know, I mean, the the statement of fact is the dog is not getting fed when the dog needs to be fed. That's right, a statement right. of fact. Now, you don't, you That's don't not get a in, blame, yeah. Exactly. Don't get into a lot of emotion about that. But you, you call it for what it is. You don't infer. You don't say you don't care anything about this dog or about this house or living here or anything right. else because you're not feeding the dog. That's not, that's not an objective statement. Right. What is objective is the dog's not getting fed. Start right. off with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't have to have the blame. Exactly. Believe it or not, we are out of time, James. I know. I told you it was going to go fast. Uh, <laughs> well, I, this is a really wonderful book, and I think that, uh, like I said, I wish I would have read it years ago, although I, you know, some of the stuff, thank goodness, I, I did do, and some of the stuff I didn't, so it could have helped. But anyway, I want to thank you so much. We will tell people to take a look at your website. Why don't you just give us your website? Sure. Uh, it's uh, really easy, www.docspeak, D-O-C, like in doctor, speak, S-P-E-A-K, one word, docspeak.com. And uh, the pertinent links are over on the right side. One of them is the website for the book called The Changing Behavior Book, and it can be ordered there. And there's some free stuff there also under free resources at top link. Wonderful. Thank you, James, and we will talk to you again soon. I can't wait to see your next book. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you, Mari. I appreciate it. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Visit our website at conflicthealing.com. See our upcoming guests, listen to archived interviews, 
and write us an email about what your concerns are with conflict in your life. And thank you so much. Join us next Monday at 8.30 a.m. Thanks. Thank you.